0: Our, uh, our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Kings chapter 17 uh, verses 1 to 23. Now the words will be up on the screen as I read them in a minute, but if you want to turn there in your Bible, and I always encourage uh, that, if you have a Bible, now would be a good time to do that. If you want to use the Bible that's in the chair rack, then it's uh, on page 410, 2 Kings 17, and we're coming back to 2 Kings uh, this morning, I appreciate uh, Pastor Craig uh, being here uh, last week, but this winter uh, we are going to be looking and continue to look at 1st and 2nd Kings in our survey of this period in ancient uh, Israel's history of the divided monarchy. And uh, to help with the timelines, a couple weeks ago we, uh, we provided a, a two-sided cheat sheet. Uh, if you still have that in your Bibles, and uh, that's useful to keep on hand, there's extra copies on the table in the foyer. If you uh, misplaced yours or you didn't get a chance to to grab one, well, this morning uh, we are on the uh, at the very bottom of the uh, the kings of Israel side, the very bottom of it, uh, because we're at the we're at the bottom of the page. King Hoshea, the last king in the northern kingdom of Israel, last king ever. So it's it's a bit long this passage. Um, most texts and in this series this winter are so you can remain seated as I read it but but use it as an opportunity to to focus right we're reading God's Word so if you have God's Word in front of you or you're able to look at the screen let's focus as I read uh, on this uh, because this is the word of the Lord and when I'm finished I'm gonna make that declaration invite you to respond by saying thanks be to God alright ready here we go 2nd Kings chapter 17 starting at verse 1 in the twelfth year of Ahaz king of Judah Hosea the son of Elah began to reign in Samaria over Israel and he reigned nine years and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord yet not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Against him came up Shalmanazar king of Assyria and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to so king of Egypt and offered no tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison And the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria and for three years he besieged it. In the ninth year of Hosea the king of Assyria captured Samaria and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Halah and on the Habor, the river of Guzan, and in the cities of the Medes. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt and had feared other gods, and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel, and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and asherim on every hill and under every green tree. And there they made offerings on all the high places as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them." And they did wicked things provoking the Lord to anger and they served idols of which the Lord had said you shall not do this yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer saying turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants the prophets but they would not listen but were stubborn as their fathers had been who did not believe in the Lord their God They despised his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false. And they followed the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves. And they made an Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings. And used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel and afflicted them and gave them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them out of his sight. When he had torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam, the son of Nabak king. And Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit great sin. The people of Israel walked in all the sins that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had spoken by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria until this day. This is the word of the Lord. Now a few months ago on a uh, on a Sunday morning I got into my car uh, backed out of the driveway at my house only to quickly discover flat tire. Front left tire flat not just low I mean flat like done like like the car is inoperable and 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 it was fine the night the night before and now in an instant done happens suddenly or or really not so much right because actually the warning light have been coming on for quite some time you know the pressure warning light in that, uh, in that tire now you don't know when the pressure light comes on which tire it is so I had this ritual of you get out the pressure and you go around you check each of the tires and they're all fine except the front left it's a little low so you fill it 35 psi or whatever it is I forget what the, the this particular car was you fill it and you and you go on your way and the light would come on again and you do the same kind of thing right so I'd fill it back up and the point is the catastrophic failure of that tire seemed to happen suddenly one morning it was just just done but it actually happened over time and not without repeated and significant warnings to the driver me who could have acted on the warning but chose to ignore it and just put little patches on it instead israel's destruction in 722 bc that we just read about at the hand of the assyrian empire it was a catastrophic Event that rendered the nation inoperable but it was not without significant and without repeated warnings to the kings to the people to and they could have acted on the warning but instead they chose to chose to ignore it and like with my tire no one ultimately to blame for the failure the catastrophic failure but themselves and so the result is the end of the northern monarchy right the destruction of the nation of Israel the exile of the of the people who are taken into captivity and that's what I want to look at I want to look at how that happened first what happened exactly the history of it right but more importantly and, 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 and in more detail why it happened and then what resulted and and then ask the question if there's any lesson or there's any hope for us in this right that, that's the outline that's in the bulletin so you can follow along four main points the path to exile that's really the history the reason for exile and that's where, we're, where we will spend most of our time the why the consequences of exile what's re- what results from it and then the hope of exile if there is any all right so let's start with the first one the path to exile the political the historical accounts of the of the exile that happens here now if we're just talking about the historical events all the players all the names all the kings all the fi- foreign nations it can get a bit complicated and we need to read we, I mean, we didn't read it all you can go back there's a whole there's, uh, there's a whole complicated kind of inter political international intrigue and history and stuff that's here and it's not unimportant but 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 I could go spend at least an hour going through all the the details and and let's be honest unless you actually make it your profession to study ancient history either as a as a hobby or as a a profession you probably aren't going to remember a lot of the details past maybe say 1115 all right so let's let's just keep it simple about the path to exile here. here here's what you need to know here's what happened King Hosea The last one on that kings of Israel list right he became king 732 731 uh, BC now he did that by killing the old king and then he took over but when he did so he inherited a political mess right a foreign relations nightmare because in fact even when he took over control of the kingdom in the capital Samaria a significant portion of the land right not Samaria not where he was but a significant part of the nation of Israel Right? Was was under the, the control, the the you know, the vassal control of of Assyria. Now there's a fancy word, kids. Right, here's your here's your word of the day, fancy word of the day, vassal. A vassal state is one that is obligated, that is required uh, to obey a rule that is over it. Right? It's kind of like a kind of like a slave, kind of like a, a servant, right? So a portion of the nation of Israel was already under the control, was already a vassal to Assyria. Just not the portion where, uh, where, where the king was, where, where Hosea was, uh, and, the, and, the, and the city of Samaria. Right? Now all that had happened, had already happened by the time Hosea took the throne. But then the new king of Assyria, right, you see him in verse 3, Shalmaneser he decides it's time to expand his influence. I got a new king here, let me see if we can take advantage of this. And he goes to Hosea and he says, all right, let's make a deal. You pay me money or, oh, I don't know, I'll destroy you. And so Hosea makes the deal, doesn't have a whole lot of choice, and he pays, he pays Assyria the, uh, the tribute, right? But he's not happy about it, that's obvious. And so, as the years go by, Hosea gets bold, or stupid, depending upon your point of view. And after making this original agreement with the king of Assyria, Hosea decides to do two things. So I'm going to stop paying Assyria, I'm just going to cut him off, I'm going to stop paying my... My, my taxes, my tribute. And I'm going to, behind their back, I'm gonna go over to Egypt here and see if I can get Egypt to join me and maybe we can kick the Assyrians out. Well, Assyria finds out about this and are they happy? They are not, they are not happy. So Assyria invades, captures King Hoshea. There's no details on how that happened, but that's verse, verse four. And then verse five, it says, the Assyrians laid siege to, uh, the, the, the Assyrians laid siege to Samaria. The, the, the capital city for three years Now there's not a lot of detail that we get here not a lot of description but this would have been terrible terrible suffering right? presumably the Assyrian army would have been strong enough to just level the city but they didn't they surrounded it they wouldn't let anyone in wouldn't let anyone out they basically slowly strangled it starved it to death and then finally 722 BC this is verse 6 Assyria captures the city carries away whoever's left alive in the city and in the surrounding uh, uh, lands and they take them to Assyria these these israelite people and they spread them out that's all the names of the different places they're on different parts of different parts of assyria they spread them out they 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 spread them out to different regions of the assyrian empire and this effectively ends the distinctiveness of the 10 northern tribes of of israel there would be descendants of those people for sure they but they would blend in with the other with the other nations they would mix they would intermarry they, they they wouldn't have any direct connection any longer to the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the law, uh, and the law of Moses. Right? They would become obscured and, 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 and blended in so as to render it almost impossible to recognize them as covenant people. That's the path. That's the path to exile. That's the political history of how it happened. That's only a couple of verses, though. The majority of what we read was not so much the what happened, but the why it happened. And that's point number two, the reason for exile. And it's here that we actually see that the writer of 2 Kings wanted us to remember this a lot more because he goes into a lot more detail here than he does in, in the first six verses of the, the political nature of what happened. Right, And, and just in case you, there might be any debate or discussion about the reason for what was happening here, you have this topic sentence in verse 7 that makes it very clear. Why did this occur? Why were the people taken into exile? Verse 7, and this occurred because... The people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. You got that? The destruction of Israel and the suffering that came upon the land was because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. And then, from the second part of verse 7, through the next 10 verses or or, or more, he gives the author gives more detail about the sin. He lays out the evidence. He goes through it. And there's where we want to learn some very important lessons about sin. And i've listed them in the, i've listed 10 of them in the bulletin this is really just me journaling i'm looking at the passage i'm like oh that's interesting that's interesting you might if you did it you might come up with 12 you might come up with nine this is just 10 lessons that i kind of took all right so let's look at the list we'll go quickly through it but let's what do we learn about sin from this from this text well first thing i put down sin has leaders now, this doesn't remove responsibility from individuals who sin but the bible clearly places in many instances and here being one of them a greater responsibility on leaders and so you see hoshea himself is implicated in what happens to to israel and it's more than just a political blunder that he makes it's a spiritual lack of faith hoshea inherits a mess he contributes to the mess, but instead of confessing the mess and going back to the Lord to, to fix the mess, I'm in this bind, I'm got you know, of Syria, they want to attack me, I, I'm paying tribute to a foreign nation, help me Lord. Instead of doing that, he goes where? He goes to Egypt. He right? tries to figure it out on his, on his own, Right? but of course it doesn't work, it just makes the mess worse. Hosea's leadership contributes to the, to the, to the sin. It sets the tone. And it's not just him. Right? In fact, verse 21, 22 takes it all the way back to Jeroboam. Remember Jeroboam? Right? He was the first king of the northern kingdom, like 200 years earlier, right after the split with Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and the, and the ten tribes in the north split off from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin in the, in the south. Jeroboam, this is the text, seems he started it from a leadership perspective. He established the new centers for idol worship. He made the golden calves to worship, and verse 21, he's the one who made them made the people commit great sin that's what it says so leaders matter and sin often has leaders that's the first lesson second lesson sin is bequeathed right sin has leaders but it's still the people's sin the people of israel had sin, and and the sin is passed down from generation to generation right the inheritance that is passed down is sin now kids here's your second bonus word of the day i already gave you one this is a this is a bonus Right, first word vassal. This one bequeath. To bequeath is to leave to the next generation an inheritance. Right? But instead of passing down a house or money or good traditions to your children, what Israel was doing, what the people of Israel was doing, they were bequeathing sin. Every generation learned and built on the pattern of sin from the previous generation. And it started with the time of Jeroboam, and and Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord for hundreds of years. They were supposed to be bequeathing truth about the Lord's identity that's the command that God had given in the law back in the days of Moses right when your children ask this this is what you're supposed to teach them they had a responsibility to bequeath truth about the identity the character the work of God instead they bequeathed rebellion right sin is bequeathed now the next thing and here we get to a couple of definitions about sin right what else do we learn about sin third lesson sin is forgetting go back to verse 7 this occurred because the people of israel had sinned against the lord their god keep reading who brought them out up out of the land of egypt right to sin against god is to forget and it's always intentional forgetting at some point but it is to forget about who god is and what god has done to forget his goodness and to reject his grace that's what the reference to the exodus was all about That's the reference to to Egypt, right? To the God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt. That's whom they had forgotten. And you might remember that the law of God, the Ten Commandments, that, that God had given to Moses, is given to Moses following that very reminder. Exodus chapter 20, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then the Ten Commandments follow that. whenever you sin whenever you rebel against one of the ten commandments whenever you break the ten commandments you are rejecting you are forgetting the preface to the ten commandments the character and the grace of god i am the lord your god who brought you out of slavery so sin is forgetting now next sin is idolatry Right, it's the next lesson. Here we get to commandments one and two. right? If you're looking at the Ten commandments, this is the breaking of commandments one and two, which are foundational to the rest of them. You shall have no other gods before me. That's commandment number one. And you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Bow down to it, serve it. That's commandment number two. And that's exactly what the people of Israel were doing. Verse 12, they served idols. Verse 16, they made for themselves metal images of two calves and they made an Asherah, and they worshiped all the host of heaven, and they served Baal, right? They were placing something else in the place of God, and they were doing it by creating images to to facilitate that worship. Idols. Now, an idol, for you and I, an idol is anything besides God that you make most important in your life. Anything that you give ultimate worth and value to. Anything besides God that you use to define your identity and who you are. Anything besides God that you will trust to save you and rescue you from your problems. Anything like that is an idol. Anything that you worship and think will be your salvation, that's an idol. It's a God that you have put before the true God. That's what sin is sin is idolatry. Now, next, uh, sin is hatred. Look at verse 15. They despised his statutes and his covenant and his warnings. That's interesting, isn't it? Right? Raises sin to a new level. Sin is forgetting, yes, but it's more than that. Because the people don't just forget God's laws right, and the agreement that God made with his people and the warnings that he gives them. He doesn't just forget them. They don't just forget them. They don't just ignore them. It says they despise them the letter of um, of james the brother of jesus in the new testament the letter of james says the same thing do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with god hatred right therefore james continues therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of god see what this is saying there's no neutral ground right to ignore god is to hate him to despise him now next thing uh, what else is sin? Uh, sin is selling. I like this because it allows me to include some hip uh, teenager slang here. Uh, playing touch football uh, last weekend with my, uh, with my kids, their cousins in Virginia. Game on the line, uh, next touchdown wins. Dad goes out for a pass, wide open in the end zone. My brother-in-law makes a perfect pass right through my hands. And my kids look at me, Dad, you sold. That's a hip way of saying, like, you blew it right you had a chance and 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 you just you just rejected it right to sell is to have blown it to give yourself over to the to the other side now like all slang right when we say like oh you sold right that exaggerates it for effect but that is what that's what it means to sell out to 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 betray that's what they were doing verse 17 they sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord. They gave themselves over to, they they, they sold themselves into into slavery to betray God, right? And this isn't new language in Kings. First Kings, uh, the prophet Elijah is talking to evil King Ahab earlier in the the reigns of the kings in Israel, and uh, and the prophet Elijah says to Ahab, you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, right? To sin is to sell, right? Now, 2 Kings 17 is not just the king it's the entire nation that's sold out. They've sold. Now, next thing. What else does sin do? Well, sin spreads. Look at verse 9 through the middle of verse 10. People of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns, from the watchtower to the fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and asherim on every high hill and every, gar- every green tree. Right? You see how sin spreads? First, it moves from private to public it starts beginning of verse 9 starts in secret but then it quickly uh, it quickly becomes much more broad than that becomes much more than than secret because sin can't be contained and what starts in secret becomes much more obvious over time it spreads it, it also spreads not just from private to public but it spreads to fill up all areas of of life right you see the phrases the phrases there that were used from watchtower to fortified city that's what that means from the smallest little outpost to the biggest city, it spread on on every hill and er, under every green tree, right? Idolatry and sin, they took over. They covered the land. It was everywhere. That's what sin does. You can try to keep it contained in just one part of your life, but sin's like, it's like cancer. It might start off isolated and local, but if you don't deal with it, well, watch out because it's going to spread and ultimately it will, it will kill you. Right? That's what sin does. It spreads. Next thing sin does is it transforms. In other words, you don't just do sin. Ultimately, sin does you. It changes you. Uh, look at the middle of verse 15. They went after false idols and became false. They became false. Uh, back in the 1990s, there was this uh, vitamin-packed, juice-like beverage called sunny delight it's still available but it's a little less popular now than it was but sunny delight was was big well back in 1999 a four-year-old girl in North Wales United Kingdom reportedly started turning a yellowish orange color after drinking 1.5 liters of sunny delight every single day she was it's true she was effectively overdosing on the beta-carotene which was the pigment that made the drink orange but the pigment did more than just change the color of the drink right the more that she drank it it changed her get the idea right if it's true that you are what you eat or drink right then this is the moral equivalent here you become what you worship that's what sin does it transforms you now next sin affects others right that's that's verse 17 the innocent get hurt they burn their sons and their daughters as offerings child sacrifice Right? That's what false gods do, right? They say just give me this, but then they want more, and they want more. They demand not only you; they demand your children. Sin doesn't just harm you; it ultimately comes to harm those around you. It hurts others, too. There is always collateral damage. Now, the last thing sin does is sin brings judgment, and we see this in several places, right? This is the three years of siege against the city of Samaria. It's the conquest of the land. It's the exile of the people. It's the removal. Uh, of them from the land it's the day of the Lord it's the judgment day for the nation uh, and the people of Israel and it brings it all the way back full circle to the topic sentence in verse 7 this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord all right now I've, I've, I've dealt with this idea before and I don't have time to get into it uh, that much more now but just so it's clear God is perfectly just here in doing this In his judgment of sin there's nothing inappropriate there's nothing disproportional there is nothing unjust about a holy perfect God bringing just consequences for the violation of his law and it's terrible but it is completely fitting sin has a consequence and that's really point 3 right the consequence of exile it, it's, it's really summarized in the, in, the, in the term that's used here of separation from the Lord. You see it in verse 20. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel and afflicted them and gave them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them out of his sight. And then you see it again in verse 23. The Lord removed Israel out of his sight. All right now I understand the theological technicality. Nothing is ever technically outside of God's presence everything under his creation is ultimately under his sovereign control right and so there's therefore in that sense there's no place that is technically out of his sight that's true i get that right but don't be afraid to use terminology that the bible uses clearly right just understand what the terminology means and what it means is terrible to say that israel is removed from god's sight means that this is more than just a geographic geographical exile right this is an exile of relationship Right? what this exile meant was more than just like wow i guess we got to get used to eating foreign food right That's not, it's, it's much more than that this is a removal from god's fellowship for the israelites the consequences of their persistent sin is more than just ending up in assyria the consequence is being removed from the loving protective presence of god and for us the same thing is is true the consequence of persistent unrepentant sin right the sin that you refuse to turn from refuse to confess refuse to, to to seek forgiveness from from god through jesus the just consequence of that is being removed from the loving protective presence of god and that quite literally is a hellish thought right? because everything that is good comes from the lord and when his presence goes so does everything that is good every shadow of pleasure of joy of consolation in the midst of struggle it all goes to that's hell and that's the consequence of sin so where then is the hope is there any possibility of hope for the last point i got a, I got a fourth point here what can i what can i do with it the text doesn't actually leave us with with very much and yet if there wasn't some hope for us to have well, we wouldn't we we wouldn't still be around reading the text because if you're still able to read, if you're still able to hear the word of the Lord, then you're still able to repent and turn from your sin, right? But this hope, it needs, more, it needs to be more than just sort of cross your fingers, I hope things will be okay kind of hope. It needs to have a ground, it needs to have a good reason, and there is. Because while this hour of judgment for Israel had been a very long time coming, had been prophesied and foretold like a tire warning light, Right? right while, while this hour that had been foretold finally arrived there was another hour that was being foretold by the prophets right great place to look to see it Isaiah 9 Isaiah 10 Isaiah 11 the prophet Isaiah speaking about an hour when those who would wa- who are walking in darkness would see a great light when a child would be born in the fullness of time Paul wrote in Galatians who would be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father and prince of peace when, when one would be born who would be the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior, whom Isaiah said would gather the remnant of God's people who had been scattered like sand among the nations. Israel was going to be scattered, but the prophets were also telling of an hour of a day to come when a Messiah would arrive who would gather God's people again from the nations, the people who had been scattered like sand. And for that Messiah... There would be another hour foretold another hour of judgment not for us but for him an hour that had been foretold by the prophets for centuries an hour that finally and in God's perfect timing came to be when one Friday afternoon outside the city walls of Jerusalem during the Jewish Passover around 30 35 AD in that period the Messiah would suffer the exile the turning away of God's sight the judgment that we deserve for our sin, for our idolatry, for our rebellion. That Friday that in this season of Lent we're preparing to observe, when the darkness of God's judgment descended on the incarnation of God himself, on the representative of God's Israel, to take the judgment that we deserve so that we might be returned to the promised inheritance of God's promise. We can come back because this hour of judgment was still to come the the story of of the methodist leader john wesley's conversion is fairly well known in christian history he was at a little chapel in aldersgate street in london may 1738 when he heard someone reading in that chapel from martin luther's work on the book of romans and when he had heard about the grace and the forgiveness of god his heart it said he wrote he said was strangely warmed And Wesley became a pioneering preacher evangelist but what isn't as well known is that earlier that day he had attended a worship service at St. Paul's Cathedral where he had heard Psalm 130 sung as an anthem and it laid the foundation for the message of Jesus that he would hear later that day on Aldersgate Street because Psalm 130 told about a covenant-keeping God who calls back to himself a rebellious and idolatrous people. This is what it says, Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice for my plea, of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Even after the exile call of grace goes out O israel hope in the lord for with the lord redemption is possible for israel for me for you let's pray father we thank you for the message of hope that comes even through judgment because we see in the work of jesus you taking judgment on our behalf so let this judgment of the nation of Israel be a warning to us. May it be a warning that we heed to recognize the, the terribleness of sin and its consequences, to fight sin, but to fight sin through the power of grace that is given to us in Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that this grace would be at work in each of our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.